Want to read the free newsletter other trading professionals rely on? Register on tradinggame.com.au to get your monthly fix. Hi, I'm Caroline Stephen. Welcome to Talking Trading. Investing in residential real estate is one vehicle to give you and your family financial independence and freedom. There's an old Chinese proverb which says, when's the best time to plant a tree? And the answer is 20 years ago. The next question is, when's the second best time? And the answer is now. As Australia's population grows by 2% every year and we continue to be one of the wealthiest nations in the world, our residential real estate roughly doubles in value every 10 years. In today's interview, we hear from Metropole Property Director Michael Yardney. Michael discusses the big picture of long-term real estate investing and why the average Australian can benefit from bricks and mortar. Michael Yardney, hello and welcome back to Talking Trading. My pleasure, Caroline. Let's talk about residential real estate. Why should people invest in residential real estate? Well, I guess people are coming to Talking Trading because they're wanting to get a level of financial independence, financial freedom, some choices in life. So real estate is just one of the options that give you that. So real estate is, I guess, the vehicle. I believe it's an asset class that is stable, that is secure. Sure, it fluctuates up and down a bit and there's different sorts of real estate. But when you look at the BRW Rich 200 list, you'll find that the majority of Australian make money out of businesses or share trading or other things, then invest it in the asset class of residential real estate. So there's nothing wrong with seeing how most of the wealthy people do things and and copy them, Caroline. I think there's a number of characteristics of real estate as an asset class that make it better than other asset classes. I know I've had the share the, the uh, discussion with Louise before about what's a better investment, but in my mind, residential real estate is underpinned by the fact that 70% of properties in Australia are by owner-occupiers, which means you're actually investing in an asset class that's not controlled by investors. Owner-occupiers are not going to sell their house if we have a recession. They're not going to sell their house if interest rates go up. They're, in fact, 50% of them don't even have a mortgage against it. Residential real estate is also the sort of investment where you can actually get insider knowledge and not get into trouble like you would with shares by becoming an expert in your area, by understanding why some properties are more valuable than others. You can get the opportunity to maybe buy things a little bit cheaper and sell them a little bit more expensive by having good negotiating skills. So it really gives the average person an upper hand. And I think one of the other real reasons share traders should consider owning an asset base of residential real estate is its long-term consistent capital growth. It's the sort of areas that sort of asset class that is likely to continue to keep growing despite the continual negativity by property pessimists who say, oh, the bubble's going to burst. This is going to be the end of it. Let's just look at some property values in Sydney. 1982, the median house value was 82000 
2002 it was 414,000, 2012 it was 675,000. Well, that's interesting, Caroline. The first property I bought cost me $18,000. I didn't have enough money. I went halves with my parents. I paid, uh, uh, we paid $18,000 and we got $12 a week rent and we were excited. That was the 1970s. And then Gulf Whitlam came into power. And what happened was we had massive inflation. And I thought, I made all the mistakes. I bought close to where I lived. I bought close to where I went to school, where my mum went shopping, in my backyard, my comfort zone. But I lucked out by buying in a good area. And as it went up in value, I bought a second property. I sold that $18,000 property, my half year of 32000 about 10 years later. And I bought it back from my mother, interestingly, in 2001, 2002, for 250000 18,000, 32, 250. Pam and I have since built two townhouses on there that are worth close to $2 million. So sure, there's been inflation and everything else has moved over the time as well. Um, But that's the power of residential real estate. And in my opinion, it's likely to continue to do so. A question that I get asked a lot is when I'm speaking animatedly about real estate and investing is that people go, oh, no, no, it's going to go down. Look at America. Look at the subprime mortgage crisis. Why in your mind is property guaranteed to keep growing in Australia? Well, I believe it's guaranteed to keep growing in the medium to long term, but the property market moves in cycles just like the share market does. So it's not going to double every 10 years consistently. And in fact, there's a lot of myths about real estate. See, everyone thinks they know about real estate, Caroline, because they live in a house, they've rented a flat, uh, so they think they understand it. But the underpinning long-term fundamentals are population growth, and the wealth of the nation. In the short term, property values go up and down due to the local economies, due to supply and demand, due to consumer confidence. But I remember a number of years ago, I went to Egypt, we went on a tour there, and the whole population of Australia was living in Cairo in one city, uh, 24 million people there. And despite undersupply of property, Caroline, there was no property price growth because the people were poor. This was just before all this civil unrest started. So undersupply, a dem- strong demand and no, uh, no supply isn't enough. On the other hand, if you go to Japan, it's a, a very wealthy nation, but an aging population where the population numbers are dwindling. So despite them being wealthy, property values are not increasing. They're decreasing because there's no demand. But if you put the two together, a strong demand and people who can afford it as we're having in Australia, that's what's going to underpin our property values. Recently, there was the intergenerational report that came out saying what's going to happen to our population growth. Both sides of government, Labor and Liberal, accept the fact that we're going to have to increase our population to help the economy uh, take over from those 5.3 million baby boomers who are retiring. Our population is growing faster than any other Western, any other developed nation, twice as fast as UK and America and Canada. So with a population growth of just under 2% per annum, in the next five years, our population is going to increase 10%. Where are we going to put them all? Carolyn, they all want to live in the four big capital cities, and in general, they all want to live in the same suburbs in those four big capital cities. And despite building a lot of these new houses and apartments, It's the challenge of uh, housing these people where they want to live. And the fact that we're wealthy, the people coming here are coming because they've got jobs and they want to live close to where all the new jobs are going to be, Caroline, close to the CBDs of the big capital cities. That's what's going to push property prices up. You talk about the wealth of the nation. How would you describe Australia's wealth? Well, every year, different organisations 
measure wealth and it's measured on a whole lot of factors. So sure, we are a very expensive country to live in. Transport costs more, housing costs more, health costs more. But uh, year after year, Australia's wealth has been measured against other nations and we have for the last few years in a row been number one or number two on virtually every measure of wealth. And our wealthy are getting richer. So the statistics are showing the upper 10th percentile of income earners in Australia, their wealth is growing disproportionately faster because they have a share portfolio, because they have a property portfolio, because they get dividends, because they have multiple streams of income while the average Australian's wage is only going up by the CPI or by, by their wages increase. So our poor are still wealthier than the wealthy of almost every other nation, Caroline. As a share trader, we're taught very much to block out the noise of the financial media. As a property investor, does that apply as well? Very much so. There's always going to tell you, somebody's going to tell you it's not the right time to do things. I've been investing for many, many years. In the 60s, there was a credit squeeze. I remember in the late 60s, when I was still at school, there was a nickel boom. And I got involved in the share market then. Caroline, I wasn't, I shouldn't be telling this, I wasn't old enough to own shares in my own name. So I rang with my grandmother's name and I got involved in the mining boom, in the nickel boom. And I bought shares in a company I didn't even know of. And overnight it doubled in value. And I thought, why hasn't anyone told me about this? Till of course, it all decreased in value and disappeared again. In the 70s, we had a recession. In the 70s, we had an oil crisis. We were going to run out of oil. In the 83, we had a recession. In 85, they got rid of negative gearing. Um, 87, there was a stock market crash. In the 1990s, we had uh, the recession we had to have. In 2001, we had the recession. There was also September 11th, the global financial crisis. Through all those times, though, the value of well-located residential real estate consistently increased at around about 7% per annum. So there's always noise, Caroline, as you say, and what you've got to do is understand the difference between short-term noise and long-term trends. Capital growth versus cash flow. What do you think is the better wealth strategy? Good comment, Caroline, because there are two schools of thought in real estate. Some people say you've got to build cash flow and others say it's got to be capital growth. In my mind, there's no argument. All the cash flow people from the past, the cash flow king Steve McKnight has agreed now that in fact it's got to be capital growth. Margaret Lomas, who for many years talked about cash flow, accepts the fact that it's actually capital growth that gets you out of it. So the concept is wealth is the transfer of money from the impatient to the patient. While a small group of Australians want to, well, actually, it's not true. The majority of Australians are really looking for a little bit more cash flow. A small group slowly, quietly build their asset base. You cannot save your way to wealth in Australia with cash flow or with wages. You end up having to pay tax while the tax system benefits people who build assets because there's no capital gains tax or any tax unless you sell. So in my mind, the job of an investor is to build a substantial asset base. And then when they've got a substantial asset base, start translating that asset base into cash flow. Step one, asset growth. Step two, then lower your loan to valuation and get cash flow. And stay tuned for more on Australia's real estate with Michael Yardney after the break. And some of the people I've worked with, probably the most notable is uh, 1992, 
when I went to Russia when communism fell, I was invited to go to the Kremlin and give a seminar for the 300 new politicians of the new Russia. My role was to teach them how to go on television, particularly CNN, who were all over the place when communism fell, and make them look okay and acceptable on telly, because they didn't look any good. They were using karate chops to talk about how they're going to solve people's problems. They're using fist punches and punching the lectern to say how they're going to help the young people. It just looked really wrong. So my job was to make them look good. And Anatoly Sobchak, who was the, the first democratically elected Russian politician, and he was the mayor of St. Petersburg, uh, he put the meeting on and got his assistant to officiate the whole thing. His assistant was Vladimir Putin. And Vladimir was ex-KGB, and his first job after the KGB was deputy mayor of St. Petersburg under Anatoly Sobchak. And so I can still recall that day saying, two sugars and milk, please, Vladimir. (laughs) And that was a clip featuring international body language expert Alan Peace. Alan's a guest on our Talking Trading Gold service. Talking Trading Gold is like a mini mentoring ongoing program. It's like getting a trading and psychological audiobook delivered to your inbox every month. To read more about it, click on the Get More tab at our Talking Trading website or go to talkingtradinggold.com.au. That's talkingtradinggold.com.au. And now back to our interview with Michael Yardley. Ten years from now, what do you predict our cities will look like? Well, there's been a number of studies to help governments, councils, and business plan for the future. And the suggestion is our population is going to grow significantly. Interestingly, every five years when the intergenerational report comes out from the government trying to plan or forecast from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, each time their forecast for population growth has increased. So every time they're looking at it, the likelihood of us growing is increasing more and faster. I believe that more of us are going to trade our backyards for balconies because one of the challenges living in these mature cities, our capital cities, is transport. And infrastructure is going to have difficulty coping. So most of us are prepared to travel a little bit of a distance to work, but not far. And there's going to be the trade-off of living in the outer suburbs with the leafier environment, maybe travelling to where work is, um, and so therefore more we're going to want to live close to where the action is. I think the other big change over the next 10 years is we are no longer a manufacturing country. If you go back to the beginning of well, to Federation, we lived off the sheep's back and then we became a manufacturing country, but that's all sort of disappearing. And so it's actually services in particular services and IT and health and education that's now going to take us to the next level. And we are very well situated geographically, Caroline, in the Southeast Asian region to provide these services. But those jobs are going to be in general close to the major CBD centres. And if that's where the higher paying jobs are going to be, that's where more and more of us are going to want to live and so therefore more of us are going to move to medium density and high density dwelling as close to our CBDs and in the inner and middle ring suburbs, just like it's happened in all the big cities around the world, Caroline. What's a sign that a suburb is starting to gentrify? Well, it has to do with the people that are living there and this is one of the things we look for when trying to find where to invest. So why some properties increase in value more than others are because people are willing to enable to pay a premium 
to live there. So what we look for is the um, the, the uh, census shows the statistics of uh, wages growth, and in every, on average over the last census period, wages went up twenty percent. But in some municipalities, wages went up double that, forty percent. If you think about it, in those areas, people have got more money to buy their big cars, the plasma TVs. Uh, renovate their homes and they're the areas where property values increase and you will see this because there'll be more in sydney they're likely to be more audis there in the old days it used to be bmws but people like driving their audis that's the fashionable car now you'll see more cafes there the old shops take make way for the cafes the delis the restaurants the bars uh, and the sort of shops that will be now um suiting the new residents um, so the older workers or the older people are retiring and moving out and you'll see more cars of more modern cars in the driveways more younger people younger families moving in doing up the old houses so gentrification is really um, in with a new demographic of usually wealthier people caroline I'm going to say some statistics, and I don't mean to freak everybody out, but here's your statistical projection for Sydney. In 2012, median house is 666,000. 2022, median property will be worth 1,438,000. In 2032, it will be worth 3,100,000. And in 2042, it will be worth 6,700,000. Caroline, going back to what I said a while ago, my first property I bought at eighteen thousand dollars, and now it's two million. At the turn of this decade, two thousand and ten, I put out a press release that was carried by most newspapers when I said the median price in Melbourne and Sydney will be one million dollars in twenty twenty. In other words, over the next ten years. Uh, and all I did was I looked at the statistical growth in the past and just said if all else is equal and the same growth occurs. It's going to happen by 2020. It is going to happen in Sydney by 20. And I was, of course, poo-pard and everybody, great media, but, 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 but everybody said, no, no, impossible, can't happen. It's going to be in Sydney by 2016 that the median price is a million dollars. So, in fact, I was wrong on the downside. Uh, it actually happened much quicker than we thought. There's an old Chinese saying that says, when's the best time to plant a tree? The answer is 20 years ago. The second best answer is now. Well, that's right. So it's not too late to get into property. Yes, it's a much more mature stage of the property cycle, which means you can't just buy any property. You've actually got to be very critical. In my opinion, less than 1% of properties are what I call investment-grade properties. So I have a top-down approach. We have a look at how's the economy going. We have a look at which state's at the right stage of it, the property cycle. Not that I'm trying to time the cycle. It's a bit different to share markets because properties are lumpy commodity so you can't just time it and get it in and out easily but i don't want to buy near the peak of the cycle to make sure that uh, and then wait three or four years for property prices to grow then within each state we have a number of suburbs that we target based on what i've mentioned before the demographics of people who are going to have a higher disposable income but then we also want to look at local factors and make sure there's no oversupply then the next thing is we look at within those areas the right locations you live in beautiful city there's some magnificent streets in sydney where if you're on the north side of the street you have fantastic harbour and the bridge if you're on the south side of the street you've got magnificent views of the houses on the north side of the bridge <laughs> a street they've got views of the water and the harbour and the bridge so in the same street property values can be 15 20 percent difference different to shares Every ANZ bank share, BHP share is the same, but it's different in property. So you've got to know that. And then you've got to get the right property for the area and the right price. So it's not as simple as buying any property, uh, but 
to me, I know you and Louise and Chris are much better at the share market than I am, and that's why you're my share mentors. But in property, uh, I can outperform the averages every time just because of our detail and research. I guess having done it for so long, you develop a perspective, the insider knowledge that money can't buy. So for anyone who is interested in investing in property, how can they contact you, Michael? Well, I guess the first thing I should point out is we don't sell property. What we do do is sit down with our clients and decide, where are you now? Where do you want to head? What would you like to achieve? And we're happy to have that conversation at no cost. If you go to metropol.com.au, metropol.com.au, you'll actually be able to organize a free chat. And if you want to get started in the property market, we'll have a talk. If you already have a property portfolio, we're more than happy to review your current portfolio and see how it's going. metropol.com.au. Michael Yardney, thank you for your time. My pleasure, Caroline. And that's all we have for you today, guys. Stay tuned next week to hear from John Richardson from Consistent Options Income. I'm Caroline Stephen. On behalf of the team, thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.